I don't know that I've ever seen this group move so much. Way to go. Our God is worthy, amen? Turn with me to Psalm chapter 150. Psalms, if you're not familiar with where to find them, typically you take your Bible, split it in half, and you're somewhere close. Right before Proverbs, it's the very last one. Psalm chapter 150. Our God writes into His songbook, Praise the Lord! Praise God in His sanctuary! Praise Him in His mighty heavens! Praise Him for His mighty deeds! Praise Him according to His excellent greatness! Praise Him with trumpet sound! Praise Him with lute and lyre! And harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's begin with prayer. God, these words command us to praise, command us to sing, command us to gather, to command us, yes, to dance, to use everything we have, every breath we have to lead our bodies to sing praises and delight in you in all things. I pray, God, that this word would inspire such praise, that in all of this stuff that's trying to distract us, trying to divide us, trying to cause us frustration and fear that we would be unified in praise because you, God, are worthy and you have shown yourself mighty in our Savior Christ in whose name we beg of these things. Amen. So, it's a little uh, hard to come down from the mountain and then sit and listen to me talk, but we'll return there soon. It'll be ironic, as you're about to see. But let me start. On a sunny afternoon, two years ago, two and a half years ago, on February 5th, 2018, a big group of nerdy, introverted engineers erupted in loud praise. They threw their hands up in the air, cheering. And in a moment of exuberance, they actually hugged each other. as one engineer looks at me with a stern face. Thanks, Justin. Most engineers I know are not very emotional people, especially around others. I know this because that's why I became an engineer many years ago. I wanted to avoid people. Good to see you guys. (laughs) But God changed my heart. God changed obviously changed my heart. But back to the story. Uh, Two and a half years ago, Something happened that left these normally thoughtful, very calculated people unable to restrain themselves anymore. They launched a rocket. Woo! That's it. They launched a rocket. Now, to us regular non-rocket scientists, that doesn't seem like a big deal. But they had been told for over a decade that what they were trying to accomplish was impossible. It was dangerous. It was foolish. It would be just a huge waste of money. And they, excuse me, they, they were told that this private company 
would never accomplish putting an object into orbit. They would never be able to land their rocket to reuse it. All the things they were dreaming of were stuff of science fiction. They were repeatedly told. And certainly they did have many failures. Some of their rockets blew up right on the launch pad. So they fixed some of those problems, and then it would launch in the air, and then it would blow up in the air. And they fixed those problems, and then finally they tested whether they could land the things. And they hit the ground, and they blow up there. Every time, they're cynics. They're laughing at them, telling them, I told you so. You might as well quit now. Until they accomplished it. They didn't just launch any rocket. They were able to launch into orbit the biggest, most powerful rocket in use today. And and doing that, nothing could hold back even these quiet, shy, introverted engineers and rocket scientists from whooping and hollering in a moment of uncontrollable, effusive praise. When you've been through so much difficulty and you've overcome so many challenges... And you stand at the peak of the mountain. You can't help but lose every single inhibition and burst out in emotion of praise. This is the scene of Psalm 150. The entire book of Psalms has just been this roller coaster as we've seen of every emotion trying to understand how do I use these emotions and experience these emotions in light of what God is doing. They're pointing us to guide our emotions towards hope in a coming salvation. And finally, when you get there, this psalm tells us this is what it should look like. When you realize what God has done for you, this is what it should look like. And now it's here. Our salvation has come in Psalm 150. No more explanation is needed. God's people have arrived. and It's time to get to praising Jesus. So Psalm 150 is calling us, the redeemed people of God, let praise burst forth from your entire life. Exuberant worship is not just the call of those, or the experience even of those who are more naturally emotional, expressive, or extroverted. But every single phrase in this psalm is a command. A command to each and every one of you. To let praise burst forth from your entire life. As Brandon mentioned when we began that last song, this psalm doesn't really have a whole lot of theological depth. It's it's assuming that you've already been paying attention. There's not theology. There's not biblical stories. It just thinks by the time you've gotten to this point, if you've been following along through the whole psalms, it's time to stop considering and calculating, and it's time to praise God. You know the story. You know His greatness. Let it go. This short psalm just gives us a few more details of the where, the why, and the how. How we should praise God. So in verse 1, it tells us where to praise God. It repeats this pattern that we've seen regularly. We come into the sanctuary and we go out into the world delighting in God the entire way. Then in verse 2, It offers a brief summary of why to praise God. Kind of giving us the language of what should be included in our praise. And then finally, verses 3 to 6, just burst forth explaining how to praise God. It's not a list of do's and don'ts, but simply a call to come, bring everything you have, and let it out. Exalt His excellent greatness in your life. It's telling us, 
Don't overthink it anymore. There's nothing left to consider. You've heard it all. Just let praise burst forth from your life. So, before we jump in, I realize the irony of singing an exuberant song and then telling you to be quiet and listen to me teach a psalm that tells us to stop teaching and start praising. So, just bear with me for a little bit. We'll get back to it. Let's go back to verse 1. Where to praise God? Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. I guess before we talk about where to praise Him, we could spend a lot of time talking about who to praise, whom to praise, but that should be obvious by this point. This thing is all about God, not about any of us and what we have done. It's about Yahweh, the Lord. He's the God who created everything. He created Adam and Eve. He called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob out of their land of false worship. He rescued Israel from Egypt. He exalted David to the throne in Israel. He says there's no other gods. All of the rest of them that people worship are just false, worthless idols. He alone is the creator who made us. And more than that, he promises to have a relationship with us. He redeems us so we can know him personally, face to face, like a friend. It's incredible. This is the God we praise. No doubt you also recognize the word praise repeated in every phrase here. This, it starts with praise. It says, hallelujah. The word just means praise Yahweh. Praise the Lord. And then just repeats it. Praise Him. Praise Him. Praise Him. Stop all of your arguing and your talking and your hiding and your despairing. Whatever you're doing in your emotions, your salvation has come, friends. Let it come out and praise Him. The word praise simply means to extol somebody's greatness. To commend that person to another. The psalmist is telling us our entire life, everything you do, not just here, everything you do is made to point to how amazing our God is. Many of you here work at Mayo Clinic. Your job at Mayo is not primarily about helping people get healthy. Your job is to show your patients, your coworkers, how praiseworthy our God is. Your parenting is not about managing a bunch of little personalities and trying to shape them into respectful, productive citizens of society, but to lay before their little eyes the wonder of our great God. Being single is not just a journey to go find a spouse, but it's an adventure to find as many ways as possible, to find as many people as possible to lead them to praise and marvel at our God. It's what we were made for. It's what it means to be made in the image of God, that people see us and they know who God is. In the ancient world, I've said this before, that a king who ruled over a land would set statues of himself all over the land so that someone who came up would look and see his face on that statue and know Okay, that's who that king is. He's in charge here, and this is what his reign produces. Similarly, we are set around the world so that people would see our faces and marvel at who God is. No, He has authority here. And this is what His reign produces. But we aren't just lifeless statues with blank stares. We have faces that express delight and hope. 
We have mouths that proclaim His goodness. We have legs that can take us somewhere else where we can be heard. We have arms that can pull people in to feel the warmth of God's intimacy. We are living statues made to go throughout the world and bring more praise to Him. There's thousands of places you could go, millions of places to find people to lead them to praise. But verse 1 tells us that it starts right in His sanctuary. His sanctuary is the place where you meet most intimately with Him. To become more like Him. So you reflect Him more clearly. When you go out in the world, you see image bearers, but it's a little foggy, it's a little confused. Paul says that we see through a glass dimly. We can't quite see the reflection on everyone's faces. So we come, we gather to experience Him and to have our countenances shaped into His likeness and offer praise to Him where the veil is removed and He is the honored guest or host, I suppose. It's His house. This is the common theme that we've talked about regularly. And the psalmists are repeatedly expressing this desire. I want to get to the sanctuary. I want to be with the temple, to meet with God, to commune with God, to hear personally from Him. And then once they're there and they enjoy that sweet fellowship, God says, now get out of here and go invite the nations in. It's this constant in and out until we get to Christ and His church. And now the temple is this gathering and every other gathering around the world. We come in for intimate fellowship and praise to our God and then go out energized by this marvelous news and this experience carrying His praise on our lips as we go. And so the next line says, praise Him in His mighty heavens. It doesn't refer to the place like we think of heaven where God dwells. It's a different word here. That just means skies. Wherever there is sky, everything under that, praise Him. And since the world is round, it's a sphere, everything under the sky is everything as far as we know. Start in the sanctuary and carry that holy praise outward as far as the sky covers the earth. So we know where to go. The question is, what do we talk about when we go? Why do we go? What are we going to say when we get out there? Verse 2 tells us the why to praise God. Or what we say when we praise Him. He says in verse 2, Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. It kind of looks like these phrases are just repeating the same thing. Like, there's not a whole lot of information here. We've already said there's not a whole lot of theological depth in this one psalm. But there is an important distinction between these two phrases that gives us more direction on what we should be doing in our worship, in our praise. We're first to praise Him for His mighty deeds. The things that He has done throughout history. The things He has done for us, His people. Many psalms will do this. There's some that are really long and they tell the whole story of Israel or they latch on to one particular story and they just highlight, look what God did here and look what God did here. Isn't He amazing? But then we're also to praise Him for His excellent greatness. That's simply who He is. His character, His nature, His attributes. Now the trick is that we don't really know God's attributes apart from what He does in our lives. But the distinction is important because it helps us remember that praising God isn't about what He does for us. It's about who He is. It's about making Him look good on earth. 
have to work through this distinction a lot with my kids. I want them to learn to respect and delight in other people simply for who they are, not what benefit they get out of other people. And so our kids have conflict and they start yelling at each other for hurting one another. And you're so terrible and you're so mean. And I have to sit them down and I have them hold each other's hands and they look each other in the face and I say, now you look over and you tell him something you like about him. And it usually turns out to be, well, I like when you play with me. I like something that you do that benefits me. No, 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 no. I want them to say something simpler like, you are kind. You are generous. You are so smart. When you do this thing, it reminds me of Jesus. You always welcome people in just like God welcomes us. I want them to appreciate the goodness that God is already putting into people and working into people. I want them, I want to train them to start looking for God's goodness everywhere and praise it. No matter where it can be found. Obviously, this is something that not just kids need to learn, but all of us, right? We're all fighting over something these days. It's important for the believers in Christ, for those redeemed by Christ, to come together and find things that we appreciate about God working in every one of us. Too often churches become known for what we're against. We're against abortion. We're against gay marriage. We're against, we're against, we're against that thing. And then in Reformed churches, we have this bad reputation for we, we have to always just get our ducks in a row Make sure we get all the details right before we do anything. And then maybe then we'll consider letting the praise flow from us. Just a little bit. Right now, when dividing lines are being drawn all over the place, we, you, me, we need to be working really hard to unite in this one thing that pulls us all together. The greatness of our God and what he has done to save us together in Christ. We need to be full of praise that's consistent from this place to every place we go and from this time to every moment into eternity future. Let's let our lips and our keyboards, if you're online, be filled with stories of what God has done and delight in His excellent greatness. It's all around us. Let's start looking for it and praising it. So our music, the reason, one of the reasons we gather on Sunday is to give you the, the language to go out and do that. To give, to get your heart beating and to give you the, the words to do it well. So many people are afraid to talk to their neighbors about Jesus or their coworkers. But being a witness is simply doing what Psalm 150 tells us to do. Go. Talk about what He has done. Talk about how great He is. Talk about how Jesus saved you. Just find something praiseworthy and say, thank you, God, for that. When God is lifted high, He will draw people to Himself. And He'll give you more opportunity to to talk about Him and He'll guide the conversation. It's not going to happen when we let these things that frustrate us and divide us Lead us to talk about how different we are. We need to unify in praising God and His excellent greatness. And so now we know where to go and what to say. The next question is, how do we do it? I'm going to slide this thing down a little. We'll see how that works.
Verses three to six tell us how to praise God. It says, praise him with his trumpet, with the trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Here the psalmist is giving us a collection of instruments to use as people gather to praise at the temple. Praise him as we gather for worship. But the point is not to list all the right and wrong instruments you may use. It's just to say, whatever you got, bring it. Let's sing together. Let's make a joyful noise to the Lord together. Some of you may remember about a generation ago what was called, what is now affectionately called the worship wars. People would argue over can we sing fast songs or slow songs? Old songs or new songs? Do we sing a cappella or just stick with the holy organ? Or can we use drums and electric guitars? All of it's kind of silly because they, they lost sight of what this psalm is telling us. What is important? It's important to gather in joyful worship and it's important to exalt His excellent greatness. With that in mind, bring whatever you have. Bring anything that will harmonize with others and let's get praising God. He's not asking us to bring anything that will just clash and make a chaotic racket. Remember, we're made in the image of God. Other texts are telling us that we need to be ordered. To be made in the image of God, in one sense, is to take all of our differences, everyone in here is quite different, and bring them together in a unified harmony. Music is just such a wonderful way to display that. Many different instruments and all your different voices brought together into a beautiful, one beautiful sound of praise. Even if you don't think your voice is beautiful. I love to hear it. And so our musicians want to be careful to pick easy songs that you can grasp onto right away because we want to hear all of your voices. We want every instrument to be heard in our song of praise. What's interesting here is that some of these instruments listed aren't even typically Jewish instruments. Some are used more often by their pagan neighbors. Just a little hint that he intends for us to go out into all the nations and bring them in. Bring all your culture. Bring all your styles of worship. Bring them in. Lay them at the feet of King Jesus so he can refine them, wash them by his blood, and then pick them up again and offer praise to him. That's why we don't want to be complaining about different kinds of worship styles. We want to welcome them all in as much as we can. Bring your gifts forward. We want everyone's heart to rejoice in their preferred style at some point or another. I love to see, even if it's not my preferred style of music, to see someone else who's just bursting out in exuberant praise because we're singing their old polka-style hymns or whatever, right? Someone is worshiping and that makes my heart worship. I love when Miguel stands up and leads us in a Spanish song, even though most of us don't know Spanish, because you can see it just flowing out of him in his natural language so much more. It leads my heart to worship even more because God commands praise with every kind of instrument, every song that exalts his excellent greatness. We've got to find more ways to bring this forward in worship. You may have noticed even that this praise is so comprehensive that he slips in this little command to dance. 
Can I even say that in a Baptist church? Can you believe this is in the Bible? Dancing is not only not sinful, it's commanded in worship. Whoa. So everyone stand up. No, I'm just kidding. Everyone took a collective. <gasps> We're not going to start having incorporating an interpretive dance session into our liturgy every week. He's simply saying, if the truth has moved your heart, let it move your body. If the truth has moved your heart, let it move your body. We're called to delight in the Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And you might try to weasel out of that by saying, well, none of those exactly say body. But remember, to the Hebrew mind, soul means everything about your person, your body, your spirit, your mind, your will, your heart. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.13 that your body is made for the Lord. He's telling them what you do with your body matters for your spirit. It communicates to others around you what you believe about God. Your body should be engaged with other bodies in the worship experience in a way that lifts your spirit to God and unites you with the people around you. So Jews, they celebrated by locking their arms together and they would dance in circles, big giant circles and singing praise to God and hooting and hollering the whole time. They know this is common at weddings, and we do this at weddings too. We know celebration means dancing, so why don't we do it in worship? I don't know what it's going to look like. We might have to invent our own ways. But let's not be so concerned about being reverent and respectful and calculated that We're not inspired to let the praise burst forth from our bodies. Certainly it'll look different culturally. It'll look different than what you experience in Venezuela or what I experienced in Uganda a few years ago. Or if you go to Roatan, Honduras, they'll do it a little bit different there. We need to find some way that if the truth moves our hearts to let it move your body. So start with just Tapping your toes. Nobody can see that. That's a good start. Maybe grab the hands of the people next to you and just sway them back and forth. Do something like that. Put your arm around them and sway side to side. Nobody needs to know. Maybe, maybe husbands do that with your own wife. Clap your hands. Put them together. Do something. It's time to praise the Lord. Let the praise burst forth from your entire lives. The whole reason you have breath is to do this, friends. It was, you have breath to rejoice in your Creator. And so he finishes saying, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. It's just a summary of everything we've been saying. Everything about you is made to bring Him praise. And when God made Adam and Eve in the garden, He said He made them in their image, in His image, and then He breathed into Him, Genesis 2-7, breathed into Him the breath of life. He created bodies and then gives us the breath used to praise Him. Unfortunately, instead of using their breath to praise God, they used it to curse and divide. They believed Satan, the accuser, and they became like him. They used their breath to accuse, to curse, to blame. They withheld praise from God. But in Christ, He crushed the head of the accuser. He took our punishment on the cross. The punishment for not giving Him praise. The punishment for using our lips to curse. 
He rose from the dead then to start a new creation, a brand new humanity where everyone who trusts in him is given a new breath, a special kind of breath. When Jesus rose from the dead in John 20, it says, he appeared to his disciples and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the breath of the new creation people. The breath that's used to praise God from here in His sanctuary to the ends of the earth. If you're here today and you haven't experienced that, if you haven't taken in the breath of His Spirit by surrendering to Jesus in His death and resurrection, now Psalm 150 is encouraging you to get down on your face. Maybe literally. Our bodies matter, right? Get down on your knees. Breathe in the Spirit and let your exhale be praise to God. Don't wait any longer. As the song says, don't let your concrete heart, your skepticism, your cynicism hold you back. You don't need any more explanation. You don't need just a little bit more evidence. You need to surrender to Jesus. You know what you need to do. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection makes it possible. Turn to Him and begin praising Him with your life. But it's not something that happens once. We should all know that. If you are in Christ, we know we need to always be reforming. So today, be thinking about something that you is holding you back. There's not the full, in, uninhibited exuberance coming out of your heart yet. What is it that's holding you back? You've been hiding something, embracing some sin, or you're just afraid to look a certain way to others. Are you keeping one foot in the door and one foot out just in case you need to make a quick exit when you jump into the song a little too early and no one else is singing, as I did twice already? Let go of your desire for control and give in to praising God. Lay down your burden and lift up your hands. God has saved you from your sin. Christ died and rose from the dead to guarantee that when your body is laid in the dirt, it too will rise. God knows and has seen you in your worst, ugliest moments. He knows what's still hidden in there. And He still invites you in because of Christ. That good news should cast out every hesitation, every inhibition, and Cause praise to burst forth from your life. Friends, I get the hesitation. I truly do. You may think it comes easy for me because look at me. I'm so animated up here moving my arms around and up and down all over. When I'm worshiping, I'm the one standing in front full of cheer, singing loud for all to hear. (laughs) I'm the one that looks like it comes easy, but it's not. It's not natural for me. If you knew me even five years ago, I was the guy who held onto the pew like this and let my barely let my voice sing out so no one would hear me. I would sit there with my arms crossed, calculating every word, seeing if it was worthy for me to affirm. I was like those rocket scientists. Need to calculate everything out, rarely letting the emotion out. But God revealed Himself to me in a way that brings forth praise and excitement in a way that no rocket launch could ever do. I've seen God work. I know His excellent greatness. He's walked with me through some of the darkest valleys. He has rescued me from some deep despair. 
I don't care who's watching or who tells me not to. How can I keep from singing His praise? Brothers and sisters, join me. Join me in rejoicing in our King every moment of the day with every breath. Jesus is on the throne right now in the midst of all of our chaos. All of the fighting and the campaigning and the questioning. This psalm tells us that every breath is to be used to proclaim a different message than the world. Praising Him in everything we do. Let's find God at work in every one of each other and praise Him for working in that. Let's bring everything we have and lay it down in His sanctuary at the throne of King Jesus. Let's set aside everything that seeks to divide us and unify under the banner of praise to His excellent greatness. Let praise burst forth from your entire lives. Starting right here, right now, take it to every corner of the earth and lead as many as possible to sing His praises forever. Let's pray. God, help us do that now. There's nothing else to say. I've already said too much. We know You are excellent. We know You are great. Burst into our hearts now. Rip apart the stone, the concrete in there. Give us a heart of flesh. Give us more of Your Spirit that it will be uncontrollable. We can't help but singing Your praise. We thank You, Jesus, for dying and rising from the dead to give us this precious gift. Help us use it well for your glory. Amen.